and welcome to Oh No Not. Oh, we're just starting in like that. Yeah. Okay, hi. I just wanted to surprise you. I wasn't ready, but now I'm ready. I was waiting for you to be on your phone. and uh-huh. then like, <laughs> A cruel trick. Uh, welcome to Oh No Not, the podcast, where we talk about the lesser known, recently deceased people of history. Uh, we are you sound ch- so defeated there. You're just kind of like, uh, Just in life. The, less, the yeah. lesser known, recently deceased. Yeah. You know, it's good. <laughs> life, life has become repetitive. Uh, well, speaking of, what number is this? Forty-three. Forty-three. Forty-three, and we're going to change things up. So, yes, to our dozens of listeners mm-hmm. uh, who know that normally we do, we do need a name for these four people. people the dozens of listeners, yeah, the, like the, the o- like the the obitters, yeah, the obitters, the, the obitters. obit pack, or something like Those that. Yeah, people that uh, are obitter. About life. <laughs> it's, it is, yeah, it does kind of work. It's like the Irish, it's like sort of Irish, sort of just like defeated. Yep. Uh, that's my brand. <laughs> um, so normally we do four people and we're going to mm-hmm. continue to do four people, place their things, but we're going to emphasize one or yes. I guess two. Each of us will do one person and then the so the second person we're going to kind of touch on, but not go as in depth in. <laughs> <laughs> So, and actually, Rick, hi, Rick. Hello. Hi, Dusty. I'm I'm Dusty. I'm Rick. Uh, Why don't you start? Because not not to speak ill of the person I'm going to be talking about, because I think the person I'm going to talk about is pretty pretty great, but the person you are talking about, I think, is a little more historically significant. Sure, definitely. So why don't you start? I will start. Uh, The first person I'm going to speak about is a woman by the name of Linda Brown. Does that ring a bell, or just... Just because you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. So Linda Brown. <laughs> though, though, if you were to say, had I not known about this person uh, or that this person recently passed away and you were just like, so-and-so Brown, mm-hmm. probably within three guesses, I would guess. Really? Yeah. Linda Brown, born February 20th, 1942, uh, the daughter of Leola and Reverend Oliver Brown um, in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, she grew up. Uh, growing up, Linda and her two younger sisters lived in a racially diverse neighborhood. Uh, in fact, there was an elementary school that was only four blocks away from their house, but this elementary school happened to be a whites-only elementary mm. school. Um, and so for her and her sisters to get to school, they would have to uh, walk across a series of railroad tracks and take a bus to somewhere else. Yeah. Um, in the city at the time, in Topeka, there were 18 white schools and four black schools. So this was like that era... Of separate but equal. Um, in an interview later, Linda Brown said, quote, I just couldn't understand. We lived in a mixed neighborhood, but when school time came, I'd have to take the bus and go clear across town, and the white children I played with would go to this other school. But yeah, it was a time of no logic. Right, yeah. <laughs> Those four schools had no roofs. Mm-hmm. It was just yeah, a right. field with a chalkboard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her mom, Leola, uh, tried to break it down to her and said, you know, like, Linda asked, why do I have to take the bus and all my friends don't? And she said, it's because your face is black. And that was it. Um, And so in 1950, the NAACP kind of went around and asked like a group of black families around the country to try to enroll their kids into white schools. Just to see what happens? Well, knowing that they'd be turned down. So it was like the idea was like, all right, we'll get all these people to, um, to apply. They won't be let in because it's like the... Not the law, but that's just how these rules have been made. Uh, the Brown family did it with Linda. She was like their eldest, and so it was like, all right, she, we're going to try to enroll her. Oh, uh, to force the issue. Yeah. So kind of like the Loving versus Virginia thing, just like same thing. We know it's going to happen, but yeah. we need a precedent. Mm-hmm. And so they did it. They did it with thirteen different families across the country. 
Um, the Browns were one of them. And because Brown was the alphabetically first name of the 13 families, <laughs> that is what became Brown versus the Board of Education, the very, very famous historical case that everyone learns in high school. The Zitos didn't get a chance. I know, too. Poor Zitos. There's not too much of a... I mean, I'm going to get into it, but I'm not going to mm-hmm. get like super far into it because... A lot of people... You're not going to read from the court case? No. I mean, <laughs> everyone... Did you learn it in high school? Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a famous thing. Uh, the case, just to touch briefly, Thurgood Marshall argued in front of the Supreme Court in 1954. They ruled in Brown's favor, uh, saying that, yes, it was a violation of the 14th Amendment, which overturned Plessy versus Ferguson, which was first sanctioned the whole separate but equal laws that led to the rise of Jim Crow stuff and said that states would have to start desegregating their schools, quote, with all deliberate speed, which basically meant nothing, (laughs) until 1955, (laughs) when the court then outlined uh, the process more fully. But even then, it took until 1957 for the uh, nine black students in Little Rock to be bussed in, and that kind of started the process. During the the case, it was, you know, a long, crazy case, uh, the Brown family moved out of town to Springfield, Missouri, uh, her dad, Reverend Oliver, died of, I think it was a heart attack, in 1961. Um, and then Linda went on to attend a school at Washburn University and Kansas State University, uh, and then became an educational consultant and public speaker. But then in 1979, she she did this little, I didn't know about this case. So she, um, she reopened the Brown versus the Board of Education case in, uh, in Topeka. It wasn't like, not like she could just reopen it to the yeah. Supreme Court, but... Uh, with the ACLU, she argued that the schools still weren't desegregated. This was 79. And so in 1987, the wheels of justice turned yeah. slowly, uh, a judge uh, so, like decided on the case, and he decided uh, with the district saying that you know they are desegregating it or whatever. Uh, in 1989, an appeals court overturned that, and then the Supreme Court chose not to take the case, which meant the appeals court was the last ruling, and so she won again, and she won in that case saying that the schools were still not desegregated, uh, which then ended up leading to the Topeka Unified School District adding three more schools, um, which is just a little kind of like side note. No, so that's that she that's had awesome that, well. that she wasn't just like a footnote in history, but yeah. she kept with it, even because mm-hmm. she was a kid. Yeah. And then as an adult. I was like, eh, my name's on this. I'm going to make sure this goes through. Yeah. In the late 70s, she did have like a... Um, I mean, there were a few quotes from her saying how she wasn't, she just didn't like the attention. She didn't mm-hmm. really like the media attention. She didn't and, have a variety show like everyone else in the 70s. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so a lot of the stuff she did was seemingly somewhat behind the scenes. And like she wasn't, she, yeah, she didn't really put herself out there too much and kept private. Other Because again, she was kind of thrust in this role without her choice or anything, really. Mm-hmm. She just happened to be the right person at the right time. And... Uh, and happened to have a high alphabetical name, I guess. <laughs> um, Sherilyn Eiffel from the NAACP upon her death said, quote, Linda Brown is one of the special band of young heroic people who, along with her family, courageously fought the end of the ultimate symbol of white supremacy. She stands as an example of how ordinary school children took center stage in transforming this country, which is seemingly similar to somewhat of the gun debate going on right now. Uh, and so that's it. I'll just end with that. Like, oh no, not Linda Brown. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Mm -hmm. Very good one. Thank you. Thank you, Dusty. For letting you take that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh no, for, uh, For letting me go first. (laughs) For letting me go first. Uh, how do you feel? Do you think we should, uh, repeal the second amendment? Uh, I don't know. Do you agree with that 97 year old? The guy, the Supreme Court dude? Stevens. I mean, in terms of 
the argument that it's it doesn't make any sense now and could, like it like it was written in a time when it doesn't it's just a different era yeah then uh probably yeah maybe repeal it and start over i don't know i don't know i think definitely like tweak revisit. it <laughs> yeah revisit, revisit. that's our stance it's the yeah. official oh no not stance on the second amendment it should be revisited it should be revisited yeah mm-hmm. all right like like this like plessy versus ferguson and brown versus the board of education like there's yeah, yeah there's implements in there to kind of like you know, I think it should be easier to make amendments. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Doesn't right now you need like three fourths? God, I don't even vote or something to get yeah. an amendment. Uh, all right, <laughs> that's a little, just a little uh, behind the scenes of American democracy, right there. So my person, uh, like I said, not as important in uh, the annals of history, but very important to me. And I didn't even know about this person until she passed away. Hazel Smith. Hazel Smith died on March 18th of heart failure at the age of 83. She was a country music songwriter, publicist, journalist, and pers- overall personality that is credited with coming up with the phrase outlaw country. All right. I, yes, you're in an outlaw country I am country in an band. outlaw country band, mm-hmm. so this is important to me. I thought you all were felons. That's how you yeah, guys... Yeah, no, Nate, I thought, uh, I'm actively on the run. Okay. That's, yeah. Just <laughs> Dusty is gig. an alias. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a country alias. Yeah. Uh, so she was born Hazel Boone on May 31st, 1934, in a rural county in North Carolina called Coswell. Uh, her parents wouldn't let her go to uh, college, so after high school, she started working in a mill uh, just to make ends meet. She got married to a man named Patrick Smith, where she got her last name, uh, when she was 19, uh, and began to work at a tobacco factory. Her husband uh, knew how to play banjo and fiddle, and so she kind of, that's when her love of music started. So she learned how to pl- taught herself how to play bass. Mm-hmm. She had two kids with him and uh, taught them how to play music. They both grew up to be musicians. She divorced her husband. I uh, couldn't find a year on that, but she divorced her husband and began, beco- uh, began to become more interested in country music at that point. Uh, when the bluegrass legend Bill Monroe, uh, came to town for a festival in North Carolina. She had a brief but intense romance with him. Uh, the romance would inspire a number of Monroe songs, including uh, the hit uh, Walk Softly on the Heart of Mine, uh, which apparently was a line she told him when she he was cheating on her. That's where the best songs come exactly. from. From those, the heat of the moment. So in the late 60s, after she b- broke off her romance with Monroe, uh, she moved her sons to Nashville and began to become a... She was a publicist for the singer-songwriter Kinky Friedman. Have you ever heard Kinky Friedman? Uh, I've heard the name, but I don't know. Pretty funny, like, yeah. political, kind of s- witty satirist, almost. Okay. By the early 70s, she was a publicist for this uh, studio, excuse me, this recording studio that was run by the Glasser Brothers, uh, who were kind of what you would call a country outlaw, mm-hmm. outlaw country outfit, um, when a radio station called asking what they should call the type of music that had been made popular by, like, Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson... And she was actually inspired by the Waylon song Ladies Love Outlaws from 1972. And she just said, that's outlaw music. Makes sense. Uh, which eventually morphed into outlaw country. She was quoted later in life when she was asked about it. She said, quote, now it doesn't say this in mine or any other dictionary I've seen, but it said that outlaw meant virtually living on the outside of the written law. It just made sense to me because Owen Bradley, Chet Akins were doing marvelous music, but this was another step uh, in another direction. Basically saying, like, we 
somehow had to separate this from like the more polished, less dangerous yeah. country music out there, and this is needing its own name. Through that studio, she began collaborations and friendships with Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, Guy Clark, Shel Silverstein, all these other recording artists. In the late 70s, she started working for this band called Dr. Hook as their part-time publicist, manager, and actually started writing songs for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, she actually, with the uh, royalties from these songs, she bought her own house. Uh, around this time, she began uh, as a columnist for the country music magazine, which she would continue to write for for, I believe, the rest of her life and was one of the most popular features in that magazine. Uh, she was one of the first people to give attention to such artists as Garth Brooks, yeah. Brad Paisley, Jillian Welch. Not super outlaw. Not super outlaw, Not but just outlaw. now she, you very know, legal. as the 70s turned into the 80s, she also yeah. got more polished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But she also has over 175 songs registered with BMI. Her songs were recorded with uh, by such artists as Tammy Wynette and Brenda Lee. Uh, in 2001, she released a cookbook called Hazel's Hot Dish, Cooking with Country Stars, featuring recipes from George Strait, Brooks and Dunn, Keith oh Urban, God. Reba McIntyre, oh. Shania Twain, <laughs> Trisha Yearwood, Dolly Parton, Charlie Daniels, the Oak Ridge Boys, amongst many others. Kind of tempted to get this All book. those people know how to it's cook. It's just a stick of butter surrounded yeah. by other stuff. <laughs> So when she passed away, a bunch of people wrote lovely things about her. Uh, Brad Paisley tweeted, Yesterday, Nashville lost one of the most amazing people to ever grace our industry in town. I love you so much, Hazel Smith. Thank you for being you. Mm. And Garth Brooks said, Please know this is a statement of honesty, not a statement of humility. I would not have the career I have been so blessed with if it wasn't for the constant support and guidance of Hazel Smith. I am 100% positive about that statement. Wow. (laughs) Which is just like... Sure. Yeah. yeah. Garth Brooks means what he says. What did uh, did Chris Gaines chime in? <laughs> Garth Brooks killed Chris yeah. Gaines. Everybody knows <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, so here's, I'll just leave it with a quote. I mean, I originally my ears perked up about this because it was like, oh, um, you know, woman who coined the phrase "outlaw country" passed away. I'm like, oh, I should read that. And they're just like, oh man, this lady had a great life. And yep. other people said like, which I don't know how important this is, but they're like, she was a pioneer for. Uh, country journalism, like country music journalism. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, sure. And so she, uh, and she just had this great nature everyone talked about that she was just the life of a party. Uh, so here's a great quote from her from 2001. And I actually, a lot of this uh, I got from the Tennessean, an okay. obituary in the Tennessean. And mm-hmm. this is from that. Uh, you go to Music Row and you see these people prissing around like they're Mr. Albert Einstein. But really, what they're doing is singing hillbilly songs. They take themselves so seriously and act like they're so blooming important. And listen, every one of us is a breath away from goodbye every minute of our lives. And we ain't that important. We're just people that are lucky to be in the music business. Mm. So with that, I'll say, oh no, not Hazel Smith. Cool. You know, as we were talking, I got two uh, emails from my sister with two suggestions for oh no, not people. I'm I'm not going to spoil them here, but... Are those going to be your next two? They could be. Maybe now's a good time to say if people want to reach out. Oh, yes. If people want to reach out, yeah. Instead of doing this at the end when people just give up. When people are already like asleep. Uh, They put this on before (laughs) they go to sleep. (laughs) We lull you to sleep. Uh Uh, if you want, if you have any suggestions like Rick's sister, mm-hmm, sure. uh, you can email us at ononotpodcast at gmail.com or text Rick at 310-467-0608 or email me at rickpolis yeah. at gmail.com, I or, guess. Or if you just have ideas for, uh, you know, any type of, uh, article Anything you want would written, be great, yeah. Rick's for hire. This gun's for hire. Um, or Twitter at, uh, at ononot, oh. R-I-P. Oh, no, no trip. No, didn't we change it? Oh, crap. 
Uh, oh no, not podcast. Yes, yeah. oh no, not podcast. Forget about that old one. That and was it's too confusing. Yeah, and it's no longer run by Rick. It's run by run by Mike the Davey, Oakland, uh, the mayor of Oakland, yes. Mike Davy. Uh huh. Although I do have a hand in it. So if you want to know when the next ice uh, raid is going to be, yeah. follow our. <laughs> Because the mayor of Oakland will tell you. Um, oh, I had a question for you, actually. Yeah. What what do you what would you consider outlaw? Now, what would you consider? How would you define outlaw country as oh. somebody who's in an outlaw country band? Outlaw, oh. yeah, it's kind of that. Like, do you think it's more it's, style? It's, it's or like pornography. Lyrics? Okay, uh, I can't define it, but I know it when I hear it. <laughs> do you That's think it, outlaw country. Do you think it's more like the lyrics are more important, or the uh, actual sound of it, or one informs the other? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Fair enough. Yeah. All um, right. So who's right. who's, your, person, who's your bonus bonus content? Bonus person, uh, guy by the name of Arnaud Beltrame. I might be butchering that. He's a French guy. Uh, uh, he died at the age of forty-four. I'll get into how he died in a second because that's really the story. Uh, so he was born in nineteen seventy-three in Etambe Etambes Etambes. I don't know French at all. Oh man, I watched this. this is a little side thing. I watched this um, documentary on. Cinema of the from the occupation mm-hmm. of um, of France during yep. from 1940 to like 1944, 45, and it's a great documentary. It's like 50 minutes on that film struck thing, mm-hmm. awesome. Except the narrator was just the <laughs> such a pompous narrator. Just sounded and he really thought he could pronounce these French names and really could not. And it was just like <laughs> he had like a normal voice and then whenever he got to a French, he was like, and je da 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 Like, oh, it was, I, I almost had to turn it off. There should be more self-aware narrators that yeah. are like, Etombe, yeah. am I getting that? Well, whatever, you get it. <laughs> Let me just spell this for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he was born in 73. He graduated at the top of his military school class in 2001. Uh, joined the special forces in 03, deployed in Iraq, uh, came back, joined the Republican Guard, which provides the elite Republican Guard. <laughs> so they they're the ones that uh, provides like security for French institutions. French mm. institutions. He was stationed oh, yeah. French at French is hard for you. It is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was stationed at Elysee Palace, which is where the president lives. Uh, between 06 and 010. Are we saying 010 now? Sure. Is that something? 010. Um, and he got up to the rank of lieutenant colonel during his life. So how did he die? So March 24th, 2018, at 11 a.m. in Trebez, which is a town in southern French. French. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, in Trebez, a town in southern France, a man uh, who claimed to be part of ISIS uh, walked into the supermarket there armed with a gun, knife, and three homemade bombs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up killing... Three people, although he killed someone beforehand. So yeah, he like three to people. steal a car. Yeah, he stole a car. Uh, he wounded a few more people, and then he took a bunch of hostages in the supermarket. Uh, during the negotiation with this guy, uh, police got him to release uh, pretty much all the hostages except for one. There was one woman there, mm-hmm. and that's when Beltrame like continued the negotiations. He went in. Eventually, he like traded himself for this last hostage. Hostage. Um, Beltrame set up a cell phone with a line open so that police could monitor uh, the activity, which is sort of how we kind of know anything that happened later. Mm-hmm. Um, and three hours went by with just the two of them while negotiations continued. And then at some point, the man, uh, sh- well, it sounded like police heard a shot and then they swarmed in and then ended up killing him. 
But then later, the autopsy showed that the guy actually stabbed Beltrame first, and that's how he died, and then shot him. So yeah, I don't know, crazy story. Uh, but in response to like everyone's dead now, yeah, <laughs> in this it's like a terrible story. Um, but in response, like France, like has uh, basically Beltrame is um, has become a national hero. Yeah, um, as he should, a, as he should. You a bunch of ceremonies get much more heroic than sacrificing yourself. So. Yeah, I know. So they had a national day of mourning uh, yesterday on the 27th. And it just like, it was a, yeah, I guess just the way he died really struck me and was kind of like, like you see this in the movies, I yeah. guess. You see that type of thing in the movies, but I've never heard of something like this 100% Clint Eastwood's going to make a movie about this guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. 100%. And so that's it. So that's our quick hitter. That's my quick hitter. Uh, oh no, not Arnaud Beltrame. Awesome. Uh, on a much lighter note, <laughs> my quick Quick hit, is that what we're calling it? I, I mean, yeah, maybe Quick that's hit. not the best thing. Uh, H. Wayne Heisinger. Heisinger, okay. do you know this name? Sounds super familiar. So he died on March 22nd at the age of 80 of cancer. He was a businessman who at one point owned the Dolphins, the Florida oh, Panthers, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the Marlins. Mm-hmm. He also, uh, AutoZone? Yep. Get in the zone. No, AutoNation, I'm sorry, not AutoZone. Oh. Get in the nation. Get in the nation. <laughs> <laughs> He was like the owner of that. He also apparently he got a start in Chicago running the waste management company. Oh, that's how you make it in that's the sixties. Apparently, 60s, how yeah. you make a ton of money to buy professional sports teams. Why I care about this guy is in 1987 he bought into not bought outright but bought into a small chain of video stores called a blockbuster oh sure uh, at the time there were under 20 locations but apparently he was a fan of how clean. The place seemed, and how like he thought a lot of other video stores were kind of yeah. seedy because like they it was are vacuumed a lot. Yeah, it was just very clean and uh, sterile. Getting the buster, blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> that was the that was the theme, and so yeah, under his control, the franchise expanded to over thirty five hundred locations. So basically, what we know as like the video chain, not just blockbuster, but like Hollywood Video, all those yeah. things that don't exist anymore but we're staples of our childhood. That's kind of this guy. You know, it's so weird, like, thinking back on Blockbuster and Hollywood and, like, how those are these, like, nostalgic markers when at the time... Oh, like... I hate... I worked at... So, uh, I, through high school, for, mm-hmm. like, 10 years, even long after I had, uh, like, a big boy job, I still worked at a video store because I just loved doing it. It yeah. was, like, the cool, hip, pretentious video store. Oh, you're renting a Big Mama's house again? Yeah. Like that? <laughs> Exactly. And yeah, no, we, we scoffed at people. We, you know, talk shit about people under our breath. You know, that's how it worked. But we, what we would do was called Video Droid, which actually the hell of a thing. I saw a statement from the president and CEO of MoviePass, yeah. whose name is Mitch Lowe, who was the owner of the video store I worked at. Really? Yeah. It was called Video Droid. It, we got sued by George Lucas over the name Droid in the 80s. <laughs> Uh, but this guy started with his brother. Wait, two did brothers. they win the suit? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, they, said they were basically saying, like, you don't own the word droid. <laughs> <Dick."> <laughs> Fucking Lucas. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, same guy that uh, started this video. St- there was like 13 of them in the Bay Area, uh-huh. or in, all in the North Bay. Also started Netflix, helped start Netflix, helped start Red Booth. He just wants people uh, to Redbox. see some movies. Yeah, and then now he's on MoviePass. Anyway, yeah. I got an email from him being like, sorry, I misspoke about something. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, you've been doing this too. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> MoviePass is such a mess. <laughs> but I love it. Yeah. Um, but uh, at this video store I used to work at, we would give people free rentals if they let us cut up their Blockbuster cards. Oh, Because okay. to us, Blockbuster was good. evil, and yeah. we were good. Right. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Blockbuster, and you know, 
I miss video stores mm-hmm. like nobody's business, but and Blockbuster at one time was evil. But yeah, I even think of it in a nostalgic way just because it's a thing that doesn't exist. That was such would, a large part of my life. Do you think that if there was one that existed, you there's would, still one that exists. You, there's like one that still exists somewhere up in like Canada or some like or wait, Blockbuster? Yeah, there's. Like or no, one I just mean like a video store. Like well, there's video you, room, but how often do you like just? Well, now browse? that I'm moving to Piedmont. Oh right, okay. I'll go down there. Yeah, I guess so. I think it's just like there's not a need, right? Like that's the thing. Uh, and the block—I mean, the blockbuster thing was like exacerbated it. Just oh yeah, like, yeah. I mean, the fact that blockbuster would have high turnover and just try and stock popular movies was mm-hmm. lame. I mean, it was like yeah, uh, the red box of its day. But I, you know, actual video stores we can go in and discover things. Oh yeah. God, I miss that. Like mm-hmm. nobody's business. Yeah. Um, so with that, I'll say, <laughs> oh no. Not video stores. <laughs> yeah, screw this guy. Yeah. What, what was that oh, name? also he was uh, he was a huge donor to the Republican Party. So yeah, really screw this guy. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, he, that sounds right though. Yeah. So oh yes. Oh yes. Wayne Heisinger. H. Wayne Heisinger. Yeah. Heisinger. I think I know him because of the Dolphins thing. Yeah. Was he? I think like during the Marino years, he was like the guy. Probably he would. Uh, he owned the Marlins when they won the World he, Series. Okay. I wonder if he had like an Ace Ventura. Um, yes. Cameo. Man. He might have. That movie does not hold up. <laughs> <laughs> Ace Ventura two. Even though there are issues with that. Yeah. Uh, Ace Ventura one. I tried to watch it a couple years ago. I'm just like. I think can't, it, I can't be an apologist for this movie. This movie is wrong. I think the end is a little rough. Uh, yeah, oh, you think? Oh, and I think <laughs> the transphobic part. You uh, think? I think that's the rough part. Yeah. I think the rest of it's pretty funny. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 But you, it, the end, you can't. It's tough to separate those. The people. like, you know, sea of people throwing up because it's a man. <laughs> I mean, Tone Loke's in it. Like that's oh, that's, okay. that's a positive. Rest in peace. Yeah. Is he dead? Oh, he died a while. Ah, yeah. poor Tone Loke. Man, funky cold Medina. Yeah. I guess that's one funky cold Medina. Oof. That's the only too soon. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. On that, well, we've already done all the other stuff. We already got all the paperwork out of the way. Yeah, great. So, uh, to all those abitters out there. Yeah. I uh, hope I don't. You want to say it? No. I hope I don't see you in the abits. Yeah.